The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. At noon, darkness came over the whole land, and until three, until three in the afternoon. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders who heard it said, Look, he is calling Elijah. One of them ran, soaked a sponge with wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. The veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing him saw how he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. When I was growing up as a young boy, my grandfather on my mom's side was one of the caretakers at our parish cemetery. And his task, one of them, was each night at sunset, he would go around and lock all the gates. And it was, it was a large cemetery, probably almost you know, a city block, maybe. And when we were over visiting, I always enjoyed going with him as we went from gate to gate and he'd put the chain around and the padlock and he would bless it cross. One time though I said, Grandpa, aren't you afraid of being in here at night? And he said, it's not the people in here you have to be afraid of. <laughs> it's the people out there you have to worry about. <clears throat> and his wisdom was very rich. But historically, people feared the dead. I mean, as long as there have been human beings on earth, there's been a, a fascination and a fear with people who die. What happens to them? Where do they go? And for most of the ancient world, people cultivated a very intense respect for the dead because they knew they could be destructive. So they could come back as ghosts, they could create chaos in this world and you wouldn't even know that they're doing it. So all sorts of rituals developed to placate the dead. Some of that is what we do on Halloween night. But there was a great concern that rituals be done with perfect precision, that the dirges got sang when they were supposed to, 
that the graves were recognized and honored and reverenced as they were supposed to be. Because all of that was done to keep these destructive dead at a safe distance from the living. Now what's interesting for us and for our ancestors of Israel, for most of their history up until the time of Jesus, maybe 200 years before, they did not believe in an afterlife. And what's ironic about that is all the other nations around Israel did, especially the Egyptians. We were all fascinated with mummies and how that whole cult of the dead was very much a part of their life. But the Israelites did not. They did not have a notion of the immortality of the soul until closer to the time of Jesus, and scholars have wondered why. And the best I could research was that all of those other nations that did believe in life after death had these very developed rituals that were designed to guarantee the dead a place in the next world precisely by doing something in this world for them, which meant that they began preparing their tombs and the pyramids, all of that in this world, which was only something that the rich could do. You had to have money to begin to prepare in this world for where you're going to be in the next world. And ancient Israel did not want to distinguish between the rich or the poor. They didn't want to in any way make it seem as if the poor were disadvantaged. And so they just didn't believe in life after death. It all started to change, as I mentioned, shortly before the time of Jesus. And then in Jesus' own life, there wasn't even complete agreement on that. The Sadducees said that there wasn't life after death. The Pharisees said that there was. Jesus is the one who revealed this life after death. And he revealed it precisely on the cross. In the Gospel account from Mark, notice after Jesus' death, it's the centurion who recognizes him as the Son of God. Anywhere else in Mark's Gospel where Jesus is called Messiah or Son of God or anything like that, Jesus always dismisses. It's only at the cross, at the moment of his death, that his revelation of divinity is seen. What Mark, the Gospel writer, is trying to say is whatever we mean by calling Jesus the Son of God, it first has to be said at the cross. Because there, in the moment of death, the revelation of new life happens. That revelation that we call resurrection. And whatever that was for Jesus, and that new life that he experienced and then handed on to his followers, is what gives us our hope. It's what sustains us in life. And it is what, to quote my grandpa, what allows us not to fear the dead.
The ancient peoples did. We don't have to. We don't have to be afraid of the dead. We don't have to worry about ghosts. The dead are in the hands of God. Let God worry about them. They're no problem to us. There is one thing, however, that we do need to fear. And it's not the dead. It's some of the stuff that the dead left us. In other words, the legacy of the departed is not always light. Sometimes it's darkness. They have bequeathed us with warlords and despotic leaders, attitudes of hate and prejudice and a desire to eliminate those people who for some reason are threats to us. Parents can hand on to their children hate and cruelty and abuse. And all of these things that the dead have left us are now what we are entrusted with eradicating, getting rid of. And the best way to do that is through prayer and penance. We pray for the dead, not because we think our prayers are going to get them to heaven quicker. God isn't manipulated by our prayers. We pray for the dead so that we can stay in communion with them so that we can keep this communion of saints, this mystical body of Christ, very much in our vision and in our spirituality. And we can ask the dead to help us rid the world of the junk that they left us. We can also repent. And by that, I mean what the word truly means is a conversion, change of heart. We can make a decisive choice not to hand on the darkness, the negativity, the sin, the attitudes, the behaviors that are all contrary to the gospel of Christ and that sometimes remain because that's what happens with people, with our lives. Tendencies continue until we decide not to perpetuate them anymore. But on this night, we don't just remember the dark things that we inherited from our deceased loved ones. We also remember their gifts. We also remember the faith that they left us. We remember the positive ways that they taught us to navigate our lives in this world. We remember the, the love that they showed us, sometimes in the smallest of gestures, in the simplest of words, we remember the fidelity that we saw in them to our parents and to their children. We remember their fidelity to the church, their earnest desire to celebrate the Eucharist and to make this church community such an integral part of their lives. That's the blessing that they left us. And for that, we offer prayers of thanks. So on this night, when we pray for our beloved friends and relatives who have passed into the eternal life, we thank them 
for the blessings that we have inherited from them. And we pray that they will accompany us in our continual journey through this world, helping us to rid it of anything that is of darkness and not of God, until one day they accompany us until that full presence of God that we call heaven, where there is only radiant light, joy, and abundant peace.